Welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Five locations, stlmasses.com. Go there for the website. Go there to look at directions to the restaurant and the menus. Beautiful food. I'll talk about Masses some more, as you know, here on the podcast, but uh, I want to talk about our guest today. I'm very excited when we have a guest of this caliber on our show, as you know. We'll do broadcasters, former baseball players, authors, comedians, and today it's our first executive producer. It's Fred Godelli, and Fred's name you hear every Sunday night at the end of the broadcast. Al Michaels mentions his name. He is the head honcho, basically, of Sunday Night Football on NBC Sports. He started with ESPN in 1983. He was doing all, all kinds of things. There's the College World Series, but in 1990, he began producing the Sunday Night Football package for 10 years there with Joe Theismann and Mike Patrick, and that was just a great show. Also, he was uh, the producer of the NFL Draft from 1990 to 2000 on ESPN. So basically shaped how that would look over those years. That's when the NFL Draft became big, and then uh, he moved on to Monday Night Football, over to ABC, and then over to NBC, where he is now on the number one show in America every year for 10 years running. We're going to talk to Fred Godelli about that in a second. He also was a producer of the ESPYs on ESPN from 1998 to 2001. So we got some stories to tell there. But again, I want to talk about Masses one more time. STLMasses.com is the website. Go there. You can find directions to the uh, restaurants if you're driving through St. Louis. If you watch these from out of town, you can look at the menus and just salivate and think about what you're going to eat before you get there. It's Masses, and they are my title sponsor. I'm sure our guest today has been to Masses Many, many times, although we don't have a football team anymore. Fred Godelli is my guest. I'm very excited. Fred, ever hit Italian restaurants in St. Louis before we were ripped off of our team? Uh, all the time. Uh, did a lot of Rams games, you know, in the early 2000s when they were a powerful team. And, um, yeah, uh, many, many, many great Italian restaurants in uh, St. Louis. Uh, you don't have to say that. But Masses is your favorite, right? Of course. I that. Um, so, Fred, thank you for joining me. We had a conversation the other day, and I was I was really interested to, to just kind of run through your career, so I appreciate you doing this. And Fred is a, a producer, an executive producer, basically runs Sunday Night Football for NBC these days. But uh, I, was a, I am a producer, and so I'm always interested to have these kind of conversations. Um, Ten straight years, most likely, right, of number one prime time dominance. Did you guys get that award yet or not? Uh, it doesn't become official until May, but you can you can put it in the book. It's going to happen. So this is uh, 10 straight years of being the top primetime show in all of TV. Uh, just to put this in perspective, American Idol was the next with six straight years. Cosby Show, five straight years. I only watched the Cosby Show on Sunday Night Football. But um, that's that's got to be great, right? Knowing that what you do, what you put on TV, people are watching, and and your name is the producer of that show. I mean, that's a that's a fairly great honor, and a, probably a a very big uh, a, 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 a thought when you think about doing these games. Yeah, I mean, no one ever could have dreamed that you know this would happen. You know, before this, I mean, a sporting event. You know, there was no other even sporting event for a season that finished as the number one show in prime time. So for it to happen, a lot of stars and planets had to align. They did. Uh, you know, we got into the business when the NFL was really, you know, starting to hit, you know, that, that, that apex they're on at, at the moment. And, uh, you know, Dick Ebersol started the project. 
Uh, I was fortunate that he hired me. Uh, we got to collaborate, but you know, it was uh, Michaels and Madden, and then Michaels and Collinsworth and Michelle Tafoya. And uh, it's been an incredible run and something we don't take for granted and honestly uh, could not be more proud of it. Tell me a little bit about just this season as, as everyone's dealing with the pandemic and sports broadcasting. Luckily, the NFL was sort of the last uh, that had to really see how to do this. They got to watch MLB and NBA and how they all did it, although now we're going into these stadiums. But uh, were you on site, and did you get to go to these sites? And tell me a little bit about just the changes of working through a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I went to every single game as I would for a, uh, a normal Sunday night in any year prior to this. Um, you know, our our mobile unit infrastructure changed because everybody had to be socially distanced. Uh, we actually remoted the entire graphics operation, the edit operation, and the research operation, which had up until now been on site every single year, was now coming out of Stanford. And that worked so well. I don't ever see a reason why they'd be back in the field. Uh, I think their lives were better. Uh, there was no drop-off in efficiency or, or production. And so that worked out pretty well. You know, the biggest adjustment was, aside from traveling, uh, you know, was just not having people in the stands. I think there might have been five games this year where we had people in the stands, and I think the most we ever had was 16,000. So that was, um, you know, that was a major adjustment. But you know, when you think about, and I tried to have this perspective the entire time, uh, you know, we were not working in a hospital. We were not treating patients. You know, we were not doing, uh, we were not first responders. You know, we were providing three hours of sanity a week, you know, to an American public that needed three hours of sanity a week. Uh, so it's not a season I would love to repeat by any stretch. Uh, but like anything else, you learn a lot. And uh, I was just grateful to be working, to be honest with you, Brad. Yeah. And I was, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, well, first I wanted to ask, so how many people are normally on your crew on site? And then how many were, were on site this time? And then, as you said, it sounds like, because I know a lot of these, these uh, you know, the regional sports networks are like, we love it. We don't have to travel people anymore. This was what we were trying to get to anyway, but now this pandemic kind of, you know, made it happen. But tell me a little bit about that for you guys. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the traveling part of it was 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 just, you know, bizarre. Uh, you know, airports were, up until about Thanksgiving were fairly empty. Uh, so social distancing, social distancing in an airport wasn't a problem. Some airlines were really, really strict with the protocols, which were great. Uh, but the hotel situation was weird. I mean, like, you know, most hotels, you didn't get maid service. There wasn't any room service. Uh, you ate a lot of meals out of styrofoam this year. Uh, like I said, I mean, it's like, you know, these problems are minuscule, you know, compared to, you know, people who are, you know, treating the COVID situation. But you try to make the best of it. And um, like I said, just be grateful that we were able to do this. Um, and, you know, I don't know, you know, look, we realized a lot of efficiencies. I mean, we normally have in a normal year, like 180 people on site for every game. This year, it was 130. Um, and where technology is going, you know, even the guys who run the EVS machines, which you know are the machines that generate replays, 
we uh, experimented with technology in the season where guys were running their EVSs from their home. And that was true at this past Super Bowl, too. CBS had people running EVS machines from their home. And I think as technology continues to advance and, you know, bandwidth, uh, we're able to accommodate much more than we are right now, uh, you're probably going to see fewer and fewer people on site. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I think that's where it's heading. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the no fan thing. I, and I noticed that ratings pretty much for all sports have been down, and a lot of it has been thought of that you need the fans. And it, I know Drew is your director, so I'm sure he was like the first couple nights like, what, how do we get a reaction shot? And then secondly, everyone's wearing masks. So when you're like, give me, uh, the, you know, give me the backup quarterback. Well, where is he? I can't see him. Yeah, well, I mean, assistant coaches, you know, were, were some of the tougher ones or guys that were hurt but were on the sideline. You know, you start looking, okay, which kind of sneakers is he wearing? You know, does he have any kind of marking on his pants? I mean, like anything, you know, where in a, in a quick second a cameraman could, you know, possibly identify, yeah, that's the guy we're talking about. Um, but, you know, it is, you know, the crap. You know, the biggest thing with the ratings, I think there are a couple things. One, the entire sports calendar was thrown out of whack. You know, we were playing we were playing NBA final games in October. We were playing Stanley Cup final games in October. Uh, the Kentucky Derby was in September. Um, you know, we had the Masters in November. So the, the whole sports calendar was so out of whack, and we had things competing against one another that never happened before. So there's no surprise why the ratings are going to be down. Uh, what we have to hope is, as you know, hopefully more people get vaccinated and the virus becomes less of an issue, that, yeah, we get fans back in the stadium and people start watching the way they watched in the past. You mentioned Al and, and Chris, and, uh, the, I mean, probably you can't go wrong by saying tied for first as best uh, NFL broadcast team right now. Um, and how hard was it for those guys? Because I know Al missed a few games protocol-wise. I know he's got a lot of travel he has to do. Just tell me a little bit about how hard was it for those guys. Uh, you know, you like to have those coaches in in-person meetings because you could probably at the end of the meeting pull Bill Belichick aside and go, okay, who's really hurt? But here right. you're probably what, everything on Zoom, I would assume. And just tell me a little bit of what it was like for the announcers. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't one in-person meeting this year. Um, you know, as it related to the meetings you would traditionally have with the teams. Everything was Zoom. And, you know, so many of these people we've been meeting with forever. I mean, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. You know, we're talking about for Al. I mean, Al and I have done 20 years together, and Tom's been in the league for over 20, and Drew's been in the league for 20s. So, yeah, I mean, that was weird. You lost that personal touch, uh, which, you know, to me is where you get some of that extra good stuff that you weren't going to get this year. Michelle Tafoya couldn't be on the field. That was a real handicap because before the game, I mean, she'd be working that field like no one's business and coming up with little nuggets and, you know, pieces of information that were going to be utilized in the broadcast. Um, I think the biggest thing that Alan Chris had to face was no crowd. Again, there was no, you know, when you're announcing a game, that crowd gives you adrenaline and you have to speak over the crowd when the crowd comes up. So I thought they did a very good job adjusting to that, but it was definitely hard. And, you know, we had a couple of games in Santa Clara County where they had to wear a mask during the game. 
And, you know, so they had never done that before. And again, not to, I don't want to make like we're complaining about it, but it was an adjustment, you know, and, um, you know, on Sundays, like I'd put on a mask at nine 30 in the morning and it wouldn't come off until the game was over. And the first couple of weeks I was like, you know, gasping and choking, you know, in the middle of the game, but you get used to it. It's like you work at a deli now. You're just handing out turkeys every day. <laughs> That's what they do. I, so you've done six Super Bowls as, as the lead producer, correct? And then four of them with NBC. I, I love Super Bowl coverage. I, I'm a huge fan of hype. I love pregame. I used to produce pregames, and it was my favorite thing because I love the hype of a game. Um, tell me a little bit about Super Bowl pregames. I know you do the game, but these pregames, some of them five hours. I always thought NBC did such a great job because of the talent. You had Dan Patrick, you had Bob Costas, you, you had Al, you had just so many great, Mike Tirico. I mean, just the, the Keith Olbermann was on a few of these things. Tell me a little bit about um, your role in producing those and, and just the, the fact that you want to have some entertainment, you want to have some football, and it, but there is that weaving of it, and I always felt like the NBC started that. I, I felt like you guys really balanced it. I felt like Fox was always going way over the top for entertainment and and I think CBS this year kind of did sort of the same, uh, kind of the NBC model is what I'd call it. Tell me just a little bit about when that planning starts, how many people kind of, I mean, you guys have to talk about all these features, but also you only have two weeks to plan for the team. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, I don't produce any of the pregame shows uh, for the Super Bowl, but obviously, you know, I'm aware of what's going on and I can give you my personal opinion. I think the one thing that NBC has done really well is that there's an arc to the show. And once you get to five o'clock, uh, at that point, you know, as much on the field as you can be, it's all about the game at that point. And you're getting people, you know, ready to watch, you know, the biggest game of the year. Um, prior to that, you know, in, in the early hours, you know, you do some, you do some entertainment, you try to have some stories that are really compelling that, are going to affect the viewer. And that's where, you know, the production of features is really important. And, you know, you mentioned you don't know who the teams are until two weeks before, but there should always be like one or two enterprise pieces that really kind of talk about the day or tell a story about somebody who was affected by the Super Bowl. And uh, then it's pacing, you know. I mean, you don't want to spend a, a um, too much time in any one place because if, you know, half the audience isn't interested in that, half the audience is going to be tuning out. And, and so you have to have pace. The show has to move, and it constantly has to move. And then once you get to 5 o'clock, you're locking into that football story. I know at the Super Bowl in Tampa, the last one, uh, we did it. It was in 2009. Uh, uh, Barack Obama had just been inaugurated as president, and it was the first time we had a presidential interview in the pregame show. And, you know, every year since, you know, that's what it been. But again, you try to run that earlier in the day. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're not going to interrupt that, that football momentum to six o'clock. And then I would just say any studio show is only as good as the announcers. Um, you know, I think people point to uh, Inside the NBA as, you know, the best studio show, which I would agree, but because they had that great cast, you know, with Charles and Kenny and Ernie and Shaq. Um, so, uh, you know, with Super Bowl Sunday, uh, it's really about having the pacing, having the story arc, 
and then coming hard with the football, you know, at five o'clock. Tell me, so you did you did Sunday Night Football for ESPN. You moved to Monday Night Football, and your first Super Bowl, I believe, was 2003. So you, you've done a lot of games. You've done a lot of primetime games, a lot of people watching. And we've heard, I've heard Joe Buck, I've heard Al Michaels, Jim Nance. When that light goes on, you know, at, five, at 535 here in St. Louis, 635 Eastern, they know how many people are watching. What was it like to know you're in charge that first time? You're the guy that if, if stuff goes wrong... Fred, hey, what are you doing? What's going wrong? Tell me just that that buildup of that day of your first one and what it was like because um, it's the biggest, it's still the biggest viewed thing ever on uh, TV a year. Um, just give me just the, is there butterflies or you, hey, you're busy working? It doesn't matter because you you know you have to work. Tell me a little bit about all that. Uh, well, it was a West Coast Super Bowl, so rehearsals started at like seven thirty a.m. So we were up pretty early. You know, we were at the trucks by 7, and we were rehearsing at 7.30 a.m. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously I felt prepared. I felt ready to go. And But then about an hour before we're going to take it, you know, I'm starting to think about, wow, this is not only that. It was like my career goal to do a Super Bowl. So here it is. You know, here comes the moment. It's, it's all here. You wanted it. You got it. Here it is. And I remember saying, okay, I got to step outside this truck and take a little bit of a walk. And, um, you know kind of look around, breathe a little bit. And uh, I'm walking out of the truck. And the first thing I see is my stepdaughter lost. Like she's in the truck area. I'm like, what are you doing here? She's oh, I got lost. So I'd have to, and I have to walk her back to her seat, you know, with my mother and father. Uh, and um, so that kind of got me straight and all that. But, you know, the one thing I try to do before every Super Bowl, uh, like about an hour before the game, I leave the truck and I take a walk all the way around the field. And I just try to soak it in and I just try to um, remind myself like, hey, this was a career goal of yours. You know, you were really fortunate. You've got to realize a goal and just, you know, appreciate all the people that helped me make that goal possible and or achieve that goal. And uh, that kind of like settles me down and gets me fired up to do the game. And hope the power doesn't go off like it did. <laughs> power doesn't go off. Yeah. Well, we've got all plans for that, man. So uh, it, 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 if we lost power, I think the country would be out of power. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, you And we talked about Monday Night Football. So you went from Sunday Night Football, uh, which was on ESPN and TNT for a while. You moved to ESPN the whole time. But then Monday Night Football, I, I have to ask you about the Dennis Miller. Um, obviously not your hire, but you get to work with them, what, two two years one year, okay. So you get the one year with him. He was, I think, in the booth three years. Um, a lot of people enjoyed it. A lot of people didn't. What was it like to work with a non-sports guy? Because now you're really, you're, you're testing your producer chops here when you bring in someone who's not. But he's, he's been doing it, so at least you're not doing his first year. But uh, how did you how'd you find those years, that year? Well, Dennis lasted two years. The first year with Don Olmeyer, who, you know, hired Dennis. And then the final year with me. Uh, with people probably don't know about Dennis is that he was a extremely knowledgeable sports fan, not just football, uh, baseball, basketball, the Olympics. I mean, like he had an encyclopedic memory of sporting events and players and, and things that had happened. Um, so that part of it was not an issue. Uh, he, he really knew that part of it. Um, I think where it got a little off track, and I've said this before, is uh, he wasn't really brought in to talk football. You know, he was brought in to 
you know, hey, here's an outsider now in the booth. Obviously, he's a comedian. Uh, he's funny. Um, and, you know, really maybe, you know, I, I don't know if it was just, hey, how many one-liners could we get off on him? But he, he really wanted to talk about the football part of it. And um, obviously there's limitations when you haven't coached or played about how much football, you know, you really know. But, look, it was definitely a challenge. Um, but he was committed. Like, he was not, you know, he was bummed out when, you know, ABC brought Madden in and ended that experiment without Dan and, and, and Dennis. Um, but I thought it was a, I mean, I thought it was a really bold thing to do for Allmeyer. I mean, at that point, things had gotten really probably stale across the industry. You know, we were all doing it the same way, uh, the same kind of people. And uh, Don came in and as only Don could do, you know, he threw a mucky wrench into the engine purposely and, uh, you know, uh, revived Monday night in the sense that it was now talked about all the time because Dennis was on the show. They were doing it differently and all of that. And, you know, I think Don, you know, uh, realized this was not going to be a long-term answer, but in the short term was going to get people to talking Monday Night Football again. So I think from that point, like, I applaud it. I think what he did was really bold, and I, I would deem it successful. And I think, you know, Dennis really liked it and would have loved to have done more seasons. Yeah, and as I was thinking through, as you're saying this, he still was obviously on top of his game, but maybe a bit too cerebral. <laughs> so his, his comedy was a little out there for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think, you know, a couple of Sylvia Plath references, that's going to talk over most of the football audience. <laughs> It was funny. Now, uh, mentioning Don Olmeyer, you, you have a career that spans many, many different times. You did the ESPYs. You produced those a few years, and I asked you before this if we could comment a little bit on your first ESPYs, where Norm MacDonald was the host, and a uh, huge fan of Norm here, uh, probably my favorite comedian of all time. I would love to hear him, actually, in the football booth someday. Maybe you could make that happen. You have the, the power. But uh, he hosts a very maybe the most memorable Emmys opening ever because people still go to YouTube. He did his bit that he was doing but in front of sports celebrities who don't normally take hits, you know, and Ken Griffey Jr. was like, whoa, what is going on? Who is this guy? What was it like uh, uh, in that truck or in that production room when, when you heard him doing his stuff and, um, and then the kind of what you heard after? Well, the one, here's, here's the first thing I learned is that the people who have the least sense of humor about themselves are professional athletes. Correct. They have no sense of humor about themselves. And, they don't want to be uh, uh, they don't want to be teased or ripped. Now, in fairness to them, they're coming to an awards ceremony. They're not anticipating getting roasted, you know, uh, you know, by a comedian on stage. Um, there were a couple of jokes that we asked him to take out. He said he would, and then he did. Uh, and you know, those were uh, I think one was about John Elway, and uh, that was somewhat regretful, but. Norm was interesting. I think Norm has a really keen sense and or a uh, keen interest in the uh, numbers of sports, if you will, uh, as it relates to making money or losing money. So he had that. And he, another guy who, you know, knew who everybody was, knew what their gig was, you know, knew what they were good at, maybe knew some of their, you know, uh, failings and in, in, in certain pressure moments. Um, but it was my first one. And it was a brand new experience for me. I had never produced an award show. 
uh, I went and asked for it uh, after I had sat through the previous, I think, six. I said, look, I'd love to take a shot at this. I think I could do it. So that one for me was, you know, my eyes were wide open and I was really trying to learn as much as I possibly could. Uh, Norm was interesting. He was definitely, uh, you know, uh, fun to be around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, the OJ joke uh, didn't really uh, go over all that well. Uh, he had some funny jokes about, um, or he had one funny joke about the female uh, loser in the Olympics that were going on at that point, the winter Olympics were going on, but yeah, it was, uh, that's where I learned firsthand. Yeah. Athletes don't really want to get teased. Just said probably a little time to sweat too. And there's, there's probably some people kind of behind you saying what, what the hell's going on here, Fred? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was some, there was definitely some consternation uh, occurring. You mentioned uh, Norm's uh, proclivity for maybe some sports gambling. I, I love Al Michaels. I think he's the greatest announcer ever. But I love that he's always been true to keeping spreads uh, important at the end of a game. When something like a, a late touchdown happens and he'll say, well, this is going to make some people raise an eyebrow. Um, I just love that. But working with Al, um, you guys went from Monday Night Football to NBC together. I was curious, were you guys part of a package? Because he, he, it took a lot to get him out of ABC. We remember the uh, it was like a no, cartoon. I mean, it's funny how it happened. So you know, uh, ABC loses Monday Night Football. It's going to Disney. You know, we erroneously assumed they would just want us to come over and do Monday Night on ESPN. And like I said, we erroneously assumed it. The only person they wanted was Al. Uh, they told Madden, uh, Drew Esikoff, uh, our director, and myself that, hey, uh, we don't really have a football role for you here. Drew and I, they tried to give us a couple other gigs, uh, but uh, Madden quickly signed with NBC, I want to say, like, by May. Uh, Drew signed with NBC by June. And then uh, they already had their producer in place. um, And um, in October... It was the final year of Monday night on ABC. I remember uh, I met with Dick Ebersol and he, and we had a long conversation about football production. And he said, look, if, if I, if I didn't have a producer that I'm loyal to, I would hire you in two seconds. He said, but loyalty is a big deal to me and I can't do it. He said, but I might get a second package. I think at that point he was thinking maybe he would do like the NFL network package or something like that. And he said, and if I do, uh, you're my first call. I was like, okay, great. Um, and then he called me in December and he said, hey, um, I'd like to come to a game and sit in the truck. Would you mind? And I said, I don't mind. I said, but I think it might be proper and appropriate if you just call George Bodenheimer, who was the president of ESPN, and ask him because, you know, I, I'm not at a president level. He said, no problem. So he comes to the game, he sits in the truck uh, for the first half, and then at halftime he says, I'm, I'm going back. He goes, hey, just give me a call. You're staying in our hotel. Give me a call when you get back. I'm like, it's going to be late. It's going to be like quarter to one. He goes, yeah, I don't care. Just call me. So uh, I, we finish the game. I go back to the hotel. I give him a call. He goes, can you come up to my room? I'm like, sure. I go up to his room, and his producer is sitting there. Oh, he also came to the game. And he said, listen, uh, 
we just acquired like twice the amount of golf that we had today because ESPN has relinquished their golf rights. Uh, and Tom, Tommy Roy, would rather produce all the golf than half the season football. So would you like to produce Sunday Night Football? And I said, without even knowing what he was going to pay me, I said, I'm in 100%. And uh, then he and I went down to the bar, and Drew Esikoff was, was there. Al Michaels was there. And as soon as he walked downstairs, he saddled right up to <laughs> He saddled right up to Al and started romancing Al, you know, to come to NBC, which uh, he eventually yeah. did after he traded some Ryder Cup rights, some Olympic rights, and a rabbit named Oswald uh, back to uh, Disney uh, to get Al to come to Sunday night. Pretty good story. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole trading of a rabbit uh, is pretty, pretty hilarious. Not, not many trades like that. I was uh, looking through your bio, and NBC has you kind of being one of the creators of the first first down line, the yellow line, uh, pylon cam. These are all really uh, enormous innovations in the game. Um, just curious, your thoughts on where the where the innovation is now. I mean, it never stops. We saw this year the kind of the the panoramic camera, the uh, portrait mode camera used by Fox and then CBS in the Super Bowl. Um, just tell me about though, kind of always thinking like. Hey, this game is on TV. It's people watch it. You know, we don't have to. What? Why do we need keep keep adding? You know, we add first and ten on the on the field. But tell me, that's kind of the fun of this job, right? Is like, what else can we do to make it? I mean, Skycam changed everything when the XFL had de debuted. Like, what what are your thoughts on what's kind of coming next? And and the, and the thoughts of creating those things or being part of that. Well, the first and ten line was created by some brilliant scientists. It was not created by me. I was the first person to implement it. And I did all the testing with it online. Uh, but, um, you know, a guy named Stan, I'm, I'm going to forget names here now, but Stan Honey, Bill Squadron, Marv White. I mean, some really, really brilliant scientists actually, you know, developed this yellow line. And then Jed Drake, who was running in uh, ESPN at the time, came to me and said, hey, I think this would be great on our football coverage. And so that that's how that all happened. Um you know, the, the reason why we try to do it is because we all want to make our shows distinctive. We want to make our shows the best. And if a piece of technology can improve the viewing experience, well, that's what we're here for. We're here to make it better for the viewer every single time. And you, know, you think about the history of broad of sports television. You know, what are the most significant um, innovations? Instant replay is probably the most significant, right? I mean, the fact that you can now watch a play over again, uh, that changed everything. That's probably the biggest game changer of them all. Uh, you know, the first and 10 line, you can't really watch a football game without it. The constant scoreboard and clock, you cannot watch any sporting event without it. Um, you know, those are the big things. And, you know, there's super slow-mo cameras. There's the camera that you just mentioned, which... You know, I'm kind of lukewarm on, but, uh, you know, I think AI is going to play such a huge part of what goes forward because, you know, these video games and the kids who are really grown up on these video games and all the things they can do and see and the angles, you know, that's what I would think would be or what I feel like is probably coming next. How does, you know, artificial intelligence and, you know, those types of graphics work their way into the into the broadcast 
in a in a meaningful, almost consistent way during any sporting event. We have a couple more minutes. I appreciate your time, but I did want to get your thoughts on the Nickelodeon game. I thought it was uh, amazing what they did. I thought, man, I mean, if this... I'd like to get your thoughts on it. I mean, it made me turn over to see what was going on, which is an amazing feat. Um, and to get kids involved, I, I just, I know a lot of baseball producers. And I said, if you're not doing this on April 1st, at least once a month, I mean, it was, I thought, amazing. But your thoughts on it and just how, I thought, really groundbreaking, really. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I think ESPN's getting ready to do an NBA game with Marvel. As you know, Marvel is part of the Disney empire, you know, Superman, uh, Captain America, you know, all the superheroes. I think they're getting ready to do an NBA game with a Marvel touch to it. It'll it'll be a separate feed, just like the Nickelodeon feed was separate. But they're going to be doing that, and that's going to be fun. Look, I thought CBS really did a great job because they made it authentic to Nickelodeon. Um, and I thought, you know, as great as the graphics were and the slime zone and, you know, all those all those different things, they had the right announcers, you know, um, they had two kids, you know, one on the field, one in the booth. Um, they had, you know, uh, Noah Eagle, who's a young guy who's definitely going to, who's, who I think is a terrific young play-by-play announcer. And they had Nate Burleson, who basically is fun personified. I mean, Nate just has fun, uh, no matter what he does. Now, um, would that, you know, that game would appeal to people in production like you and I and, and hopefully kids because that's who the game was produced for. Uh, I don't know that you'd get a mass audience of adults, you know, tuning in for that. But again, as we, you know, as technology gets better, I mean, every network now has ability to stream on, you know, multiple platforms. Hey, if that's a way to, you know, to have kids get more interested in watching the NFL, why not stream a Nickelodeon type of uh, broadcast uh, for your top NFL game each week? Why not stream a, uh, a Nickelodeon broadcast, you know, for a baseball game? Again, you know, baseball is a sport that really needs kids. Um, so I, I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was an extremely successful experiment and, I'm sure we haven't seen the last. All right. Uh, you do the Sunday night song. It's changed a little bit. It was it was the same for a long time, Carrie Underwood. I'd like to request a Safety Dance by Men Without Hats. It's my favorite song of all time. If there's any way we can work that into the Sunday night. It's got safety, so you could, you know, anytime there's a safety, we could, I don't know if, I'm, this, you're, you're in charge, so. <laughs> last question. Uh, just give me your favorite John Madden story. Just something maybe on a trip, a travel, if you can think of something funny that just made you laugh where you thought this guy's insane. Um, I, I got to get in that cruiser one time and uh, meet uh, his, his driver, and that was just uh, great. <laughs> and the fact that he drove to all these games is amazing to me. Uh, so I'm giving you time to think, if you have one, if you could tell us one. Man, I mean, uh, you talk about a guy who lived to have fun. Uh, that was John Madden, and he made work fun uh, because he was constantly, well, he was the most observant human being I have ever met. Like, you'd be talking to him, you'd meet him, and, you know, 10 minutes into the conversation, he'd say, uh, hey, do you always wear, you know, yellow shirts? And you'd look down and look, oh, yeah, morning yellow shirt. Uh No. No, I don't. No, I just, I just, I just pulled this out of the closet this morning. Oh, okay. He goes, look, you know what they say about guys who wear yellow shirts, right? 
You'd be like, uh, now all of a sudden your mind is going, uh, no, no, wh- wh- what do they say? And then he'd make something up. But, you know, John, God, he's, he's not only the most observant, might be the smartest guy. He knows a lot about a lot, not just football and not just television. Um, I can't, I can't think if I have one specific story. Um, you need a whole like turkey, le- you know, fifteen of those turkey legs off the truck one night, or I- <laughs> the first night, the first year we had them, uh, it was a Monday night, so it's the Monday after Thanksgiving. Actually, it's the Monday heading into Thanksgiving. So uh, we bring a turducken, which you know, for those people in the audience who might be too young to remember, it's a uh, chicken stuffed inside a duck stuffed inside a turkey. Uh, so we brought it to the booth. He made it famous on, on the CBS games and the Fox games, uh, you know, when he was at those two places. And it came up on a plate, and he's looking at it, and we show it on the air, and all of a sudden he starts cutting it, carving it, like with his hand, like this. I know that's a clip you can see on YouTube still that people really laugh about. But his mind was always going. Uh, he was a real uh, – he'd love to, you know – rile you up he'd bust you you know he'd bust your chops pretty good but it was always in fun um and uh he was an equal opportunity guy you know i mean uh he loved the most junior member on the show he was great with the with dick Eversall. you know i mean it was like and everybody in between uh he was really a coach personified you didn't really feel like you didn't really know you were being coached but after he left and you thought about, you know, the impact he had on you personally, or at least me personally, he was definitely coaching you uh, to do your job better. And just let me say this, uh, like all the people who are producing the top NFL games right now, pretty much all disciples of John Madden. He taught generations of TV people how to cover football. Uh, the Al Davis 30 for 30 I just watched, and when you realize, but he probably could have won a lot more games or a lot more Super Bowls in a different place, and he to do it there where they were trying everything to do to make them not win uh, was was pretty fun, and to have him coach that team makes a lot of sense. Fred, I have a lot more to ask you, but we've we decided that 30 minutes now 36 minutes is probably enough time for one podcast, so maybe we'll get together. But what do you do? The last question: So what do you do? When football season's not happening, I know you're you're still in the office and you're still working and thinking about next season. But what what keeps you busy up till uh, training camp? Well, uh, evaluating new technology uh, and trying to see what we could bring to the show that would make it more enjoyable for the viewer. Uh, I'm working on next year's Super Bowl because we had it, so trying to figure out you know hopefully be able to get to Los Angeles here you know by the end of the spring you know to really spend some time in SoFi Stadium. Uh, I work on the schedule with the NFL, you know, scheduling uh, czar Howard Katz. Um, and, uh, you know, April 1st, we bring the band back together. We start having weekly brainstorming sessions. And that, that pretty much fills out the, uh, the spring and the summer. Three-hour game, and this guy's working every day for those games. And that's what I think is amazing. And don't, think about the safety dance when you have these meetings. Just think about the safety dance. One time, just, you know, maybe – Maybe going to break, and I'll, I'll be listening. I'll be thinking, ah, Fred, remember. Randall played the safety dance every time there's been a safety, I'm pretty sure. I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah, I love I love when I hear a popular song on these games. Fred, I appreciate this. Again, there was so much other stuff, so maybe one day we'll get back together and talk about more uh, fun that you had in your time. But I, I really appreciate it. I had fun during this. So I hope you did, too.
I did. And uh, anytime you want to get back together, just let me know. All right. That's uh, Fred Goodelli, the, the czar of NBC Sunday Night Football, here on Here's the Pitch. I appreciate his time. Again, go to Masses, a title sponsor here, stlmasses.com. We'll see you next time.